Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by La Mega KC, Kansas City Spanish radio station. Listen online or at 100.5 FM. We're also sponsored by our friends at 1KC Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC Metro or online at 1KCRadio.org. So how do you help vet students learn to find solutions and do right by pets? If you're Dr. Ron Orchard from K-State, you create a partnership with us. We've got them on the show to talk about their partnership and how it works coming up on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Sierra Howe. Welcome to the show. We're coming to you from our Snowden headquarters here at 59th and Troost. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together. It sure is. How are you, Sierra? I'm great. I just had some tasty enchiladas, but I also am getting over a stomach bug, so that's probably not the brightest idea. No. YOLO. Um, me, on the other hand, you know, I had Oh, some... yes. How are you, oh, Dave? Oh, no, How I'm rude good. of me. No, I was just going to talk about my lunch. Um, I had some some uh, sweet potato glass noodles. Um, and, what? And it was with vegetables, and it was not enough to fill me up, and I'm already mm. hungry, and it's been like an hour. You better go get you a snack at the gas station. I think so. I think that's what's going to have to happen. Uh, but you know what we got to do first? Some pet news. All righty. One woman is campaigning to bring a barbaric practice to an end, namely dog debarking. Yep, that's still a thing. And it's still legal in many states. It involves removing portions of a dog's vocal cords. Teresa Jack lives in Utah, where there are no restrictions on the procedure. Her eight-year-old corgi, Watson, was debarked by his previous owners. Why would they do this? Well, that's its own story. His previous owners were a low-income family who'd moved into an apartment complex. When complaints came in about Watson's barking from neighbors, they were given a choice. Have Watson debarked, or he would be seized and removed from the property. They made the only choice they had to keep Watson with them, but after the surgery realized that Watson might be better off in a different home anyway and relinquished him. That left Watson without a voice and without a family. Quote, not having a voice has changed Watson from a nice family dog into a very reactive, aggressive dog. I can see the frustration in his eyes. When people can't speak, we use our hands and gesture to communicate. When dogs can't speak, they use their teeth, she explained. While there's nothing to be done for Watson, Teresa has been sharing his story on TikTok, raising awareness of this procedure and the lasting effects it has on the dog in question, and garnering a lot of support. Massachusetts, Maryland, and New Jersey prohibit the procedure except where it's determined by a vet to be medically necessary. California and Rhode Island prohibit the procedure as a condition of real estate occupancy. For Change.org, petition to ban the procedure in the U.S. has gotten more than 42,000 signatures. Teresa and Watson's veterinarian met with Utah Senator Mike McKell to discuss the situation, and they hope to bring a bill forward in 2024 to end debarking in their state. I have many opinions about this. Sure, I bet. But the first one, could you imagine how frustrating it would be for Watson to not be able to communicate? Yeah. And not know why? Yep. Yeah, it is a it is a horrendous procedure. And the whole idea of it being deemed medically necessary, I would be very curious to see what situations are deemed medically necessary or if that's just a loophole yeah, for people to, for vets to do that procedure when they don't care about the welfare of an animal. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's unfortunate. 
Uh, I feel very bad for Watson, but I am very glad that this is something that, you know, it's, this is one of those stories that when I've brought it up to people, they're like, that happens still. And it's like, yep. Yeah. That's literally what I did. Yeah. I mean, we talk about declawing way more, Yeah, but, but debarking as a, as a quote unquote solution to a quote unquote problem. Please. um, Yeah. It's just, uh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous on its face. Good for Teresa. Alrighty, up next is my kind of pet news because I may be a little obsessed with crime TV, (laughs) but I promise this story has a happy ending. An Iraq war veteran credited for his marine intelligence training helped track down a Yorkie stolen from his front yard. Shortly after Avery's disappearance, his owner Raquel Witherspoon started receiving threatening text messages and a video from the dog napper demanding a $1,200 ransom. The family started posting missing pet posters all around the neighborhood, and the veteran Richard Machamer just happened to see a picture of it on the news. He reached out to Raquel and offered to help, then ran the dog napper's phone number through a database. Quote, I hail married it and put the dog napper's phone number into my personal phone, which is connected to my Instagram account, he said. Three to four hours later, Instagram recommended that I follow an account associated with that phone number. He then used that account to find a person who looked similar in Raquel's doorbell video, and police arrested the dog napper, who, by the way, was 16 years old. Dang. And they returned Avery home safely. Also in the article, it says that dog this dog napping in particular is one of thousands nationwide, with dog thefts up 30% since 2021. Wow. Which is an interesting thing considering, I mean, I don't know, I guess with the economy, people are probably more desperate, but it, I would imagine with the proliferation of cameras on people's doorsteps and, and in people's yards that that would not be as safe an avenue for uh, crime, I guess, if you're going into the yeah. industry of crime. And you have to think like how scary it would have been. Like that person had to have been stalking yeah. that yep. that woman yep. to know when she takes her dog outside, when she's not looking. That, yeah. mm. That's just like, look, man, uh, like you're, then, si- you're 16. Uh, get a job. And pets... <laughs> I mean, that kid probably didn't think of pets like members of the family. Right. Yeah. You you imagine that it's probably a situation where it, it's a family where that's not necessarily something that's emphasized or even talked sure. about. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but hey, you know, the dog is back where he belongs. So I think Richard should just take this on as a full time job. I do, too. Yeah. 100%. Or they could do a documentary on him because that was pretty cool. That's a pretty neat. Yeah. It's See, a, this it's is the crime smart... TV talking. Yeah. I have a problem. No, it's that's okay. okay. You'll get a producer credit on it. That's It'll be good. Woo. All right. Let's go talk to Dr. Ron Orchard. Sounds good. Dr. Ron Orchard is a PhD student in leadership communications at K-State who heads up our growing partnership with the university. He's a shelter medicine fellow at the university's college of veterinary medicine. We're very happy to have him on the show today. Dr. Ron Orchard, welcome to pet resource radio. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dave. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So you didn't have a direct path to veterinary medicine. Uh, let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's true. I'm a, I'm a non-traditional student. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll even share my age. I'm a 38 year old college graduate, <laughs> so I think this is a good a good place to start because I really like to encourage any other non traditional uh, students who would ever consider seeking college education or professional training because I didn't go that path until much later in life. 
Um, the way I would tell this story, and, and we uh, actually do it quite a bit whenever we get a new batch of students from the school, is uh, I grew up in southern Arizona, and uh, I grew up just a couple of blocks from the Southern Arizona Humane Society. And uh, as a young whippersnapper, I'd, uh, I'd uh, chip chop on down and, and pet puppies and kitties there. And then that turned into volunteering, which turned into a job. And then that turned into some type of deranged mission for my life, mm-hmm. uh, where I uh, knew that this organization needed help at that point in time. Um, but I didn't know how to do anything about that. And so I wanted to get education and learn how to make a better animal shelter, not necessarily become a veterinarian. Uh, so I went to vet tech school, but then also had the privilege uh, to travel throughout the country and work in some some very well-resourced animal shelters. So I was in Denver, Colorado, and then I was in Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington, uh, just focused on working in animal shelters and doing things that were sometimes veterinary-related, but a lot of them not, you know, working with uh, uh, adoptions and, and, and that and whatnot and foster programs and volunteers, um, but always always kind of uh, with a mind towards that animals. So it wasn't until much later in life when we actually moved out to Kansas that I was like, maybe I should try to become a veterinarian. And now look at me. It, <laughs> it worked out pretty good. Yeah, it sure did. Yeah. So, so um, how did this program and, and partnership uh, between us and yourself work, uh, come about? Yeah, we have been a big fan of your organization for a long time, back even when you were the spay-neuter Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, my program, and to just give a little context, Dave, um, we have one main program, and there's there's a couple of other little satellite uh, umbrella programs for it. So our main program is Shelter Medicine, and this is at K-State College of Vet Med, and it's a two week elective course where we train students on surgery. And so that course has now been in existence greater than eight years. And that whole time, you know, basically what we do is we travel the state and provide veterinary services, specifically spays and neuters for animal shelters who can't, um, who don't have a veterinarian and can't afford it. And even that whole time we'd been aware of your organization, like, boy, because they're really doing some excellent stuff out there in KC. We'd like to find a way to, and include our students in that and, and show them um, a really great high volume, high quality spay neuter model. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just ne- didn't have the bandwidth at that time. And so um, it wasn't until we started developing a new course underneath the shelter medicine umbrella that's called community outreach. And that's my main responsibility mm-hmm. that we were really able to justify and, and figure out a way logistically to get students to partner with the organization uh, so my my mentor and, and the director of our program, Dr. Brad Crower, um, has had reached out to Michelle, uh, your, your, C, your CEO there, and they've, they have a great relationship and let her know we've got this new course coming on board and we'd like to be a part of the good work that you're doing. And look at us now, we're, we're, we're starting to plan year two of what year two would even look like working with you. I know, it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, so you're a PhD student in leadership communications. What does that mean and how does it apply to this partnership? Yeah, <laughs> I know it, 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 it's kind of crazy. I, I to, to even talk about it with the start of this interview where I never thought, cause I started vet school that I didn't even have a, a college degree. Right. And, um, I just have enjoyed school so much. So the PhD program, uh, allowed me a couple of things. One is that 
I love teaching. Uh, it's my favorite thing that I do. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted additional training in becoming uh, an even better teacher. Um, but what else the leadership uh, communications uh, program is allowing me to do is focus on a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is that it's it's the, the type of research we um, conduct is uh, what we call community-engaged scholarship. Mm-hmm. And so this is really different than uh, a lot of traditional research programs where, you know, you think about some something happening in a, in a laboratory on campus or something. And whereas uh, the whole point of, of this type of scholarship is to get off of the campus and, and, and meet people where they are. And some of those people may be practitioners like the veterinarians you employ there at the Pet Resource Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the people we meet will be clients that you all are serving. And so the point of this is, is to really, uh, one of my missions is to bring this practice of community-engaged scholarship to veterinary medicine. It's something that we've done, but we just haven't had the words for it. Right. Um, sure. and, and, and the whole point being, um, so I want to bring community-engaged scholarship to veterinary medicine with the purpose being to show that everyone is worthy of the human-animal bond. Um, that's the way I always introduce it. I just had a First session of a PhD class last night, and you do your intros. I say, I'm here to bring community engaged scholarship to veterinary medicine to show everyone's worthy of the human animal bond. And I think that's something that your organization does a great job at. Oh, awesome. Why is it important for veterinary students to get experience in the field? There's, there's so many reasons. Uh, the first thing I'd say is if we, if we look at, I'm a very non traditional student, and I had the, the privilege to enter vet school with a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Some of that's going to be, you know, the hands-on things you'd want your doctor to be competent at, whether it's technical skills and abilities. Um, but a lot of this also, my strengths were also relational. Um, I'm very comfortable having conversations with clients, with coworkers, with peers. And what we see is that a lot of our students um, are coming in lacking much of this mm. um, because acad- the academics are so rigorous. So many of them are coming straight from high school, college, you know, starting vet school. And so getting experiences like working with your organization um, is, is, is allowing them to uh, gain some of that experience they, that they don't have otherwise. So um, speaking with clients or, or, or also practicing some of their technical skills, um, things that, that are just not a part of, uh, of their training coming into veterinary medicine. Got the it. other thing that's yeah, the other thing that's really important for them also is that we, we have had a bit of a of a shortage of veterinarians. And some of it also is that many have been uh, retiring from the field much sooner than, than we would like. Sure. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is because they don't really know what they're getting into. Right. And so being able to show them exactly like this is the type of job you could have you could work right alongside uh, an amazing doctor like dr washington who you all have there at, at mm-hmm. the Pet research center um and this is what a day in the life of her of, of her job is and if you like that and you're digging it you're in the right place so how exactly did this partnership work what kind of different experiences are they getting in the field yeah absolutely and and uh and still learning all the, the terms of all your different programs because you all do so much there. So please correct me if I, if I misname any, any of the, the programming that you have there, Dave. But, okay, gotcha. Um, the, the, the first, uh, what, what I do on a weekly basis with the Pet Resource Center is I participate in the sit and serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is where we have a, a mobile 
uh, vet clinic basically that, that that the pet research center operates, and we um, rotate throughout the metro area, so both on the Kansas and Missouri side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a partnership with that Westlake Ace Hardwares, and they allow us to park that vehicle in their parking lot. When it's so cold like it is now or really hot like it will be in just a few months, they allow us to use their lobbies to do check-ins and we're providing veterinary services in the parking lot. So a lot of it is wellness and preventative services. So vaccines and uh, heartworm testing and preventatives. Um, but we do have the ability to do some do some minor triage and then we can also refer to the, to your main facility there if we have any uh, challenges. Right. So I come, I do that every week. Um, most of the times I'm bringing students either from our, our rotation or from some of the other rotations in the vet school to give uh, students uh, a, a, brighter, a broader scope of our profession. Um, but additionally to that, we also participate with your curbside care uh, program. Yeah. And so that's a really great one where uh, we right now we're only doing that once a month. But we'll ride with your team and we go provide veterinary services for um, individuals who are unable to travel. So we have a, a lot of elderly folks or mm-hmm. folks with pretty uh, severe medical issues. Um, and we're actually able to go directly to them, to, to their homes and uh, see their animals, uh, provide some treatment and some care and some advice for them. Um, and uh, additionally, so that's that's kind of like one part of the curbside care, but then we're also out there. Uh, with students and actually taking them into uh, known homeless camps uh, to also provide veterinary services and care for for those patients. Uh, and then, and then the, the last bit is is what I think is the coolest um, because you all have been so welcoming and enthusiastic to have our students there. Is that our students actually end up going to your pet resource center, the physical building, and rotating through all of your different services there that your doctors do. Yeah. So they basically will spend like couple of hours in dentistry, a couple hours in wellness, a couple hours in surgery, a couple hours in urgent care. Um, and and uh, it's, it's really nice for the students because we let them know, hey, if one of these is something you're super interested in, just let the staff there know. You can spend more time there. And uh, they always, uh, almost always find somewhere that they really enjoyed and end up spending the whole day there. You know, I think urgent care is one of their favorite places. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Urgent care has been a uh, increasingly a big part of what we do and it's, it can be a little bit overwhelming, but it's definitely the best place if you're looking for a wide variety of different concerns and issues to deal with and how to troubleshoot and find the best, you know, way to get people the care that they need at a price that they can manage. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's it for them too. You know, like you get, you get to see so much of everything. So for them, it's, it's such great experience. Um, and it's like a, a great time for a student and, and your, your staff and your doctors there are so good where they really empower our students quite a bit. So I think that's part of it too. As you can imagine trying to be a, a student here at, at, at the veterinary health center at Cape state, you know, there, there's a whole, you know, stratified layer of residents and interns and faculty members. And, you know, sometimes the, the student is just kind of at the bottom of that, but getting to work with an organization like yours, you know, your doctors are really empowering for our students and, and, and allowing them the opportunities to grow. So like you said, part of this partnership is going into houseless communities and, and dealing with those folks and, and trying to help them with their pets. What kind of learning opportunities does this give students? Absolutely. So there are a couple of really specific objectives that we that we have. And, and you know, when we propose a course like this, uh, we've got a curriculum and and. Uh, objectives that we that we've got to hit learning objectives with our students 
And so the two of them that we really hammer specifically are um, practicing resource-limited medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of our mantras of this course is that there's always something you can do. Mm -hmm. As a veterinarian, there's always something you can do. And I I don't want any of our students graduating and feeling powerless. Um, That's that's one of the things that we've started to link as psychologists who've studied our profession, because unfortunately our profession has a, a high level of suicide as right. well as we talked earlier, you know, with uh, attrition and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things they found is that it's because our students are graduating and, and they haven't been introduced to difficult situations where, Hey, I was not ever taught how to hand, how to deal with a heartworm uh, treatment dog for a client who has no money to do that. What right. am I going to do? Right. Um, and, and so working with you um, and, 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 and with those, communities and clients in particular, uh, gives those students an opportunity to do that with the guidance of, of, of some K-State veterinarians. So we'd say, yes, I understand this, 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 uh, client, you know, is currently living in a camp out here, but we still made this diagnosis. So there's always something we can do. How are we going to figure out how we're going to handle this particular issue? Um, so, so it gives them some experience in that, but the, the real goal is that it, it makes them feel empowered. Like, you know what, there's probably something I can do. So give me a minute to, to research that and figure it out. Um, so that's one big piece. The other piece is, is, is just developing relational skills. Right. Um, if, if, if I had to specify my PhD and get super nerdy, that's mostly what it's going to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're looking at the interactions between the clients and the students um, and really how do we get um, at, at, at a point that is, good for both parties right it's really trying to figure out how we elevate veterinary care because so long it's been we have an expert in the room as a veterinary doctor and i will tell you what you should do right and now we're really trying to flip that script into being more that the client is here and this is really a, a team effort and we want to help the client accomplish their goals for their relationship with their animal so it's so it's really a different uh, a different task for us and how we communicate with the client. Well, and that's one of the things that, you know, I was talking with Ray over in outreach about the program and, and she was saying how impressive it is to watch the students go from school mode to kind of finding solutions mode and like brainstorming among themselves and like bouncing ideas off of each other of like, how can we do this? How can we, you know, find a solution that works for this pet and this owner? And that's really, I that's amazing. And then that's, that's probably yeah. great to see, I would imagine. Yeah. And, and, and it is different. And that's one of the strengths of this partnership, Dave, is that at the veterinary health center, you know, the referral hospital, um, most of our clients aren't, uh, have the resources and capabilities that we don't necessarily have to get super creative. You know, if, if we right. need to, uh, if we're asking for an MRI, you know, we're talking thousands of dollars, a, a good amount of our clients here at the VHC would be able to do that. Right. Whereas uh, I would say the majority of the clients who you all are serving um, would not have those capabilities. So we have to find other ways to be creative. So what has this partnership done for the ability to recruit students into the program? And also let me attack on what kind of feedback are you getting from students? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, recruitment is, it's, it's really strong. And I think it's only going to, going to get stronger and stronger, um, since it's still pretty, pretty new. This course, this class is going to be starting in August. Mm-hmm. They'll be the first ones who known about it. Um, the, the thing is, is that 
the students that are coming through now are really already asking for experiences like this. Right. So in a lot of ways, you know, we're, we're doing something that um, some of the other top schools around the country are doing. So this is uh, an expectation, which, which I'm glad to say that, that our profession is, is trying to meet those needs, but it's an expectation for a lot of these students. So now I, I think it's not just like, Oh, come check out our, our, our cool novel program. It's just the same way you'd expect, uh, to have, you know, uh, an orthopedic surgeon and an oncologist and all this at the hospital. You should also expect you definitely will have a community outreach team and they're doing work like 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 we are with, with the Pet Resource Center. Yeah. Um, so right now it's, we're at a good stage where a lot of our future students are expecting um, the feedback from the students. So that's something else that's going into my Ph.D. work. Um, uh, so what we do is we have them um, in the middle of the rotation. So basically every day. They're recording what experiences they have, and um, so they're so they have a bunch of uh, reflection time. But that's really the only assignment, apart from providing excellent care and and, and to your patients and your clients. The only other assignment is is journaling throughout. Mm. And so we we had some really amazing um, journal accounts from these students that will uh, eventually be able to be shared. You know, I'll definitely intend on sharing with Pet Research Center because you all are a big part of that, but mm. also just nationally to, to continue to show the value of a community partnership like ours, as well as this type of training for veterinary students and the impact it has on them. That's fantastic. And I do think one of the things that I do, I do think is interesting is that, you know, uh, us as an organization, um, we do a lot of things in a lot of ways that a lot of organizations aren't doing. And I, but I do think, you know, there are places starting to pop up around the country that have a similar model to ours. And I, I do think that it is going to become a much larger part of, of animal welfare as a whole. So it's probably good for them to get experience in those kinds of environments anyway. And just to, so that they understand what goes on in those environments. Yeah, I, you are totally right about that. I would say a couple things. Uh, you know, part of our intent when we established the original course, you know, more than eight years ago now, was not so much that we would convert all of these students to become shelter veterinarians right. or now, you know, community practice veterinarians, but if they could at least understand and empathize the challenges that those those organizations and the the doctors who work in those organizations face, we um, would see. Uh, the the community being a lot more supportive, you know, private practitioners, then maybe even being more likely to pitch in. And so I'd say that's part of what still influences this, where it's just like, I'm sure you'll go somewhere and someone's doing this good work. Right. But also, um, if not, the expectation is that this isn't a, a nice to have. This is also services that are completely essential. Right. Um, so if you're so if your city or town doesn't have it, there's a way you can do it. And the Pet Research Center is, is a great blueprint for that. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. So what do you see this partnership looking like in the future? Oh, my gosh. So much. It's, it's, it's always great to, to talk and dream with your staff there. You know, Ray, who you already mentioned, or Kristen and Dr. Mm -hmm. Washington, they're all super excited about our partnership as we are. Yeah. So uh, the first thing is, is that the course, the main course in which we partner on is only occurs right now once a month. Mm -hmm. So it's a week long experience for these students once a month. Uh, we're increasing that frequency starting in May to twice a month. Um, so that's really exciting for us. So we're going to get to get students out there even more often. Um, what, what I next hope to do is to, to find ways to have students included in some of your other programming that we haven't already mentioned. 
because uh, one of the programs that I think that's really cool that y'all do is, uh, do, you, do you just call it drive-through services or um, yeah, yeah. when you're going to like the Bass Pros and whatnot? Yep. Yeah, um, just a drive-through. Yeah, I think those are a really great model as well, which is slightly different than the sit and serve because I, you know, your goal in one of those events is like a hundred clients, you know, yes. if, if, you know, like, uh, and so I think getting the students to see a couple things, how, how much you're able to rely on your volunteers when you empower them, because I know when I go to those, you basically just have a, uh, to see how efficient you can, you can conduct veterinary medicine mm-hmm. and then, uh, to, to, to see, uh, and then for them to also get as many patient touches and, and, and technical experiences as possible. So I'm, I'm looking forward to finding a way to incorporate them in that. We've been dreaming about that. Um, and then, and then the next thing, which I know Dr. Washington would be really excited about would be figuring out ways that we can get, get y'all some, some externs there. Uh-huh. Um, really excited about because those would basically be students who are, who are going explicitly just to work at the pet research center for a week or maybe two. So they're basically just showing up there as an extra doctor every day. That would be another future. That, that would be delightful. Dr. Orchard, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you making time for us today. It's been a little chaotic, a little behind the scenes stuff. It's been a chaotic day. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, but it's good to chat with you. And uh, we really do enjoy this partnership. It's always great to see, you know, the students around and learning things and kind of and getting uh, just a taste of what it's like. So thank you very much. Yes. Thank you, Dave. No, no problem. And I'm really proud of this partnership, uh, an organization that Kansas City should be proud of. And, and I, I would agree with something you were saying earlier. It, it is uh, nationally being looked towards on, on how to conduct uh, a lot of this program. So you and everyone there should be really proud as we are. Uh, Thank you so much. And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks again to Dr. Ron Orger for being on the show today. If you want to learn more about the program, just go to k-state.edu. As for us, we're a nonprofit dedicated to keeping pets and people together, and you can help. Just go to prckc.org and you can donate, volunteer, shop our online store, and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, please rate us and leave us a review. That always helps people find us. And for all of the latest information, just follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at PRR Podcast on both platforms. So tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as author Bruce Cameron said, my main characters are the most sunny, happy, optimistic, loving creatures on the face of the earth. I couldn't be happier. That's where I start. I can put as many flawed people in the dog's world as I like, but the dog doesn't care. Dog doesn't judge. Dog doesn't dislike. Dog loves. That's not so bad. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. Produced, written, and hosted by Sierra Howe and David Shapiro. Recorded, mixed, and mastered by Dave Shapiro. Music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Raw Musical Industries. Music.